0: specialty crop weather impacts, the rise of rice as a profitable crop, and a little talk about crayfish, or is it crawfish? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress, and if you hear noise in the background, it's because my home studio continues to be surrounded by an active construction zone. In this episode, I'm visiting with Jennifer Keel, editor of Michigan Farmer and Ohio Farmer magazines. We talk specialty crops and frost, and she shares some insight into how the devastating floods in the state are impacting farmers so far. She also discusses an interesting Michigan shutdown rule that baffled consumers. Then it's off to the Delta where Ron Smith, editor of Delta Farm Press, shares some insight on weather, the rice crop, and a symbiotic crop for rice, crayfish. He does correct my pronunciation, but note, he does have trouble with whether it's crayfish, crawfish, or crawdaddies. Ron also talks about being sheltered in place and how that has changed, how he does his job. First up, let's talk cherries, frost, and floods with Jennifer Keel. So Jennifer Keel up in Michigan, and you're covering Michigan and Ohio. Why don't we start out by talking about the weather? Because I think it's been pretty pretty strange in uh, your area this month.
1: Hi, Willie. Um, It's getting to be quite the normal here. We have some interesting springs. This particular May, we had the first two weeks of May was 8 to 12 degrees cooler. We even had a freeze event that took out part of our fruit crop. But then the the last two weeks of the month from 8 were 8 to 12 degrees warmer. So on paper, it looks like a perfect month, but we all know otherwise.
0: Apparently. So if you had that freeze, how much, I mean, how hard did that hit the cherry crop in that area? Because that, that accounts for a lot of us that like cherries.
1: Right. Well, it's mostly southwest Michigan, and that's because the fruit was a little farther along versus northwest. And northwest is where most of the tart cherry crop is. So even though it did get hit hard in southwest, there'll still be a cherry crop because 75% of the nation's tart cherries are grown in northern northwest Michigan. But we did see a lot of damage. and um, We had What night was that? May 9th, I believe. We had temperatures at 20 degrees in several parts of southwest Michigan for three to four hours at night. And that is a killing frost.
0: And this is not the first time this has happened in the last five years. Haven't there been some badly timed freeze events in Michigan anyway?
1: Exactly. 2012, we lost everything, everything. Apples, peaches, apricots, grapes, you name it. And we're looking at a lot of damage with um, other fruits besides just uh, tart cherries as well. We're looking at apricots got hit hard, um, table grapes uh, or juice grapes. Wine grapes will fare a little bit better because um, they blossom out a little bit later. They're farther behind. What didn't happen with this event is sometimes we get a little bit of a lake effect. That's why most of our fruit is grown over on Lake Mission shoreline. We didn't get that lake effect this time because the wind was not blowing in the right direction. And so we did get this freeze.
0: Yeah, because you usually get that warming water off the lake, that warming air off the lake, it kind of mitigates those freezes, that's for sure. But every once in a while, nature works against you, but not in your favor. Obviously, uh, the elephant in the room in Michigan and is uh, flooding. Uh, it was all over the national news a week and a half ago. What are you hearing about that or, or what's going on there?
1: Well, Central Lower Peninsula received some really heavy rains that caused – we lost two dams, several bridges, roads were washed out. And um, it it was nasty. We had like a 48-hour period of areas that got anywhere from five to eight inches. And that's a lot of water in a very short period of time.
0: It's intense. So we're still in recovery mode, right? People are trying to just figure out what they can and cannot do?
1: Exactly. And it's really too soon. We haven't really figured out exactly how much of it had to be replanted. Um, A lot of what I was hearing is there's been a lot of disruption and just getting to the fields because of the roads um, being impacted. So you have a farmer that's maybe farming on both sides of the Tittabawassee River. How do you get to those areas when some of those bridges are gone? So you and what used to be a 15 minute commute to a field might, might now be like two hours.
0: These are pictures you can't put in your head sometimes. Um, you also uh, cover Ohio uh, and how's the weather been down there? What have you been hearing from farmers in that area?
1: Um, they haven't had quite the flooding events that we've had here in Michigan. But um, progress is going on very well with crops. And that's another a, a positive versus all this negative is we are making a lot of progress with planting. I talked to Jim Zook, who's executive director of corn marketing here in Michigan, and we're looking at, you know, he says it's all planted, but USDA says a little bit less. They're saying 70 percent of corn and 65 percent of soybeans. But we're seeing about the same in Ohio, maybe even a little better.
0: That's good. At least something good is coming out of this. This is a different planting season than last year when no one could get in in Ohio. That's for sure. So the interesting thing, I mean, what else is brewing in your market? I mean, uh, obviously the the livestock's been hit with the COVID, but you have such a diverse agriculture in Michigan and Northern Ohio. I think that people don't think about that. How has that changed for these growers going forward with the restaurant business all messed up and the food service business screwed up?
1: Well, I think just like everybody across the country is trying to figure out new marketing methods to get product to the retail level versus food service. And I think we're working through that. So um, I think by the time we get it figured out, maybe we'll be opening completely back up. I don't know, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, you know, there's been a, if nothing else, this uh, this pandemic has forced us to look at different avenues of, of reaching the consumer. And it also, I think, has opened up the consumer a little bit to being more knowledgeable of where their food is coming from. You know, we've had a few shortages of meat, just like everybody in the store. There's been, I'm, Mother's Day, I went to buy steaks. There was no steaks available. In fact, there was no meat available. None. <laughs> I wow. think there might have been a brisket there, but this was at a Walmart. But it's forcing us to look at alternative methods. But I think we're. We're working our way through it.
0: Yeah, I think the consumer knowing more about where their food comes from or how the system works has some value in the long run. There are a lot of interesting ideas being floated about plant-based foods. I suppose some people are looking at that because, well, when that's all that's left in the store, I guess you'll try one. But (laughs) as we go forward, and I know the processing industry is getting its act together and working through things. It's going to be slower, but they're going to get there. How? you know you've written some good columns about all of this i've seen some of your blogging um what what is the mood really in that part of the in the country what are you hearing from people you talk to in that sense
1: um i think it's kind of numb i think that's a good way to explain it there's a little bit of hopelessness that's kind of boiling up as we continue to be locked down but i think I think there's there's hope and hopelessness at the same time. I I don't know I don't know how else you describe it, but
2: I think
0: that's an agriculture thing. You know, we we hope every year when we go ahead and put the corn in the ground, even when it's three dollars a bushel. So I get that. You had an interesting thing in Michigan, and I don't know if that ever worked out, but I couldn't buy seeds for my garden as part of the lockdown.
1: Correct. Yeah, that was um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer put an order, an executive order in place that did not that locked the, the garden areas. I mean, your Home Depot could be open, but the garden area had to be closed. And so at a time in April, and even we should have been, you know, if you're going to get home mm-hmm. gardener, you would have been planting your seeds at that point. Um, you couldn't get them unless you already had them. Interesting point. My brother sells um, hot pepper seeds. He's a hot pepper farmer, but he sells them <laughs> and he says it's, it's just gangbusters right now. He's, he's doing a lot of business online. So I think people were able to find different avenues to try to get seeds, but it did seem a little quirky that she had that on lockdown for several weeks.
0: Well, at a time when people thought they could take control of their lives by planting their own gardens, you and I both know that's a lot harder than it sounds. Exactly. Um, I have a friend, a farmer friend on Twitter who made the comment. He says, gardening is hard. This is why I farm. (laughs) uh but and it's a fair it's a fair tweet because gardening is hard but i think people wanted to take control of their lives and here you're in a situation where the one thing you think you can do some tomato seeds some plant sets and you can't have any and so that probably added to the angst and the numbness that we're all experiencing it's pretty crazy so as we go through this i think that uh I think farmers are going to do what farmers always do. We're just going to keep going. And uh, we know that we'll come out of it. And we've come out of a lot of other worse things in the past. That's for sure. Well, uh, Jen Keel, it's been good talking to you as editor of uh, Ohio and Michigan Farmer. Uh, Keep up the good work and keep uh, keeping us informed. And please do stay safe.
1: Nice talking with you too, Willie.
0: Yes. I think numb is just the right description of how some of us feel these days. But as Jennifer notes... Numb and hopeful can be used in the same sentence. Now we're heading south to the Delta where Ron Smith, editor of Delta Farm Press, and I have a fascinating conversation about rice. And for Midwest listeners, you'll find that they have an interesting double crop strategy in Louisiana. Ron, good to catch up with you over there in, what is it, East Tennessee? I think that's where you are now. Um, kind of what's going on in your area? Give me an update on maybe the weather for the territory you cover in the Delta.
2: Yes. Uh, thank you, Willie. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, We're in northeast Tennessee, uh, the, uh, I don't know, the northeastern corner. We're just a few miles away from North Carolina, a few miles away from Virginia. We have had a lot of rain. I don't know that we've had more than three or four days in the last three months that we didn't get, uh, get some rain. Uh, it's slowed things down a bit, kept things green. Uh, and we've had rain really all over the all over the state of Tennessee. Really delayed some planning, but the farmers I've talked to lately say that they have been able to uh, get in the field between rain showers, and pretty much everything is on uh, on schedule now. Uh, really, I've talked to people all, all across all the, uh, the Delta all, uh, from Louisiana down into Mississippi, Arkansas, and um, and Tennessee. And soybeans, in particular, are, are well on their way. Cotton is still a little bit behind. I think corn is done. Rice is is doing pretty well. Most of that is either in the ground or, or about to be finished.
0: So well, that's interesting. And we wanted to talk about rice today a little bit. Uh, you know, I find that if I go to the store, which or try to have my groceries delivered, I can't get rice. It's changed considerably because rice is, of course, uh, a staple crop. But it's also an interesting crop. Why don't you talk a little bit about really what's going on in the rice business and kind of what you found out you've been traveling in that area.
2: Well, I haven't been traveling very much, but I've been traveling by phone a good bit. And what I found out, I've, I've done two stories on the rice market in the past two or three weeks. So one of them is with a, a fairly well-respected rice merchant, uh, Milo Hamilton, and the other is with uh, Scott Stiles out of the uh, University of Arkansas. Uh, Rice has really jumped as far as price is concerned in the last few months. Part of that is related to to the COVID virus because a lot of uh, countries that produce rice were concerned about shutdowns and the ability to get labor, and so they began hoarding rice a little bit. Vietnam is one of those and there are are some others, so that pushed the the market up a little bit and really it's the best uh, prices they've had in six or seven years. Uh, consequently, acreage is up a bit, uh, significantly in Arkansas, a little less so in Mississippi and um, uh, in Louisiana, but it's, it's a good crop, acreage is up, most of it is in, uh, most of it got in on time, and the last reports I have, uh, it was, it was uh, proceeding pretty well. It's an interesting crop, something that I haven't worked on a whole lot in my career, a little bit in Texas and a lot more when I moved over to the Delta.
0: You know, one thing about rice that's interesting to me is it's just not a crop you decide to raise. You know, if I'm raising corn and soybeans and cotton, I got a little flexibility. I might back off on the cotton and put in more beans or corn. You know what I mean? But it's not like you sit there and go, well, I think I should just put some rice in. Uh, It's just not that kind of crop. So this added acreage is kind of interesting, too, right?
2: Uh, yeah, the, the people who have rice are geared up to it, and they, they can add a little more acreage if they need to. But I mean, it does re- require a lot of a uh, lot of management. Uh, I mean, they have to build levees and uh, and run get the water in there, and uh, they have to they have to level the land so the, so the water will stay where it's supposed to. Uh, you know, they, it needs to be uh, be level across the field instead of deep in one end and and shallow in the other. It's it's a complicated crop. Uh, and that you know you have that water issue. It's important for growing it, but it's also part of their weed control program. Uh, it's, uh, it's very complicated, and uh, I, you know I learned something new about rice every time I go on a rice farm.
0: I'll bet you do. I know that I was driving down that way one time for a trip and we were in the winter and you're seeing the ground and you see the levees and you're like, what am I looking at? So yeah, it's a different part of the world to look at. And for the corn and soybean producers that are, might be listening to this, uh, you can tell you're in rice country because the fields look very level, but those levees stand right out because they look like little patches, which is kind of interesting. There's an interesting relationship with rice that you talked about a little bit recently uh, rice and crayfish would you want to walk me through what that means
2: well they call them crawfish down here yeah uh, i know <laughs> it, it is it is fascinating well you know with, with rice you have you have a water source you you have a a, a pond that you have at least on, on, the, on the acreage for a, a part of the year so a lot of farmers particularly in southwest louisiana after they get <clears throat> after they get the rice planted and after they get the, the first flood on they will stop crayfish, crawfish, crawdads, uh, and they'll, they'll they'll leave them in there, and they'll you know they'll do what crawfish do. And they, they, this is this is what fascinates me. Uh, when the rice is ready to harvest, uh, they take off the flood, they drain the fields, let it dry out, and uh, and and harvest the crop. And those those crawdads burrow into the mud. They stay there. After they harvest the rice, they they'll come back in and reflood. The crawfish will come out. They'll they'll have they have babies and they'll grow over the uh, the course of the fall and early winter. And then the farmers put in traps in late winter and spring, and they start catching crawfish. They'll they'll do that until oh about this time. They they, they finished a little earlier this year than usual because they didn't have a market for it. Uh, and then they will uh, uh, they'll. They won't plant rice that spring. They'll, they'll go fallow for the rest of the year. Just leave the crawfish alone. The next spring, they'll they'll plant rice again and start to process all over again. It's it's a fasc, it's a fascinating business. It's a uh, very symbiotic. For the last few years, the crawfish have been carrying the rice because rice prices were so low. Crawfish were were extremely good. Uh, this year, it's, a, it's the exact opposite. The rice prices are up. Uh, crawfish demand and prices are down simply because there, there are no places for them to go. The uh, restaurants shut down, uh, gatherings that usually use uh, a crawfish, the crawfish bowls, you know, mm-hmm. things like graduation ceremonies. Uh, they, Mother's Day is always a big uh, opportunity to sell crawfish, strangely mm-hmm. enough. So those things are not going on this, this spring. Uh, so the demand is gone and uh, they're having to leave a lot of crawfish in uh, in the ponds. When they go to harvest, those crawfish are going to crowd each other out yeah. and the crawfish will be a lot smaller and we will be worth a little less. It's, you know, it's one of those things that uh, uh, unintended consequences and, uh, you know, one one problem begets another.
0: Yeah, but the other side of it is this is a fascinating double crop. And the good news is, since it was a double crop and the rice went up, it, it actually levels things out. You know, that's why we used to have diversified farming. Um, and so this is one interesting way to do that. I find that all fascinating. I can't imagine that the cra- crawfish boil is going to go away for a long time. I think that's too much a part of the culture. So it'll be back. But yeah, I'm sure it's tough right now with the restaurants closed and the graduation parties for sure.
2: But those are going to open back up. And, you know, at some point, you know, six months, eight months, a year, uh, you know, those crawfish are going to still be there. They'll, They'll harvest and, you know, they'll get rid of the small ones. And then hopefully, you know, the rice will still be up, the crawfish will still be up, and those farmers will be able to come back and, uh, and recover a lot of what they've lost. That's that's kind of what agriculture is, and always is, regardless of your crop, is you have uh, you have good years and you have bad, and you hope you make enough in the good to get you through the bad.
0: I'm amazed that you can harvest rice and crawfish don't get crushed. That's just me. Um,
2: well, you're I running to...
0: so you're running some pretty big equipment through there.
2: Yeah, yeah, that surprises me too. But the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a crawfish hole. But pretty they deep. you know they go down they boil it down pretty deeply, and uh I, survival is one of those things that uh i I guess just like hibernation you know for a turtle or a frog or anything else uh they get under all that stuff and go to sleep,
0: you know you mentioned earlier, and both of us are not traveling much anymore. I'm doing more zoom interviews and phone interviews than ever before, although I know my travel schedule may eventually ramp up again as the summer progresses. But a question for you then, uh, you've been talking to a lot of different people. What other topics are you covering for the Delta? And uh, what, what are the other hot issues that you're seeing down there?
2: One of the things is the way things are going to change. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, taught, I've done several stories with, uh, with some of the support industries for the agriculture and how they have operated during the, during the shutdowns equipment dealers uh, service providers chemical and fertilizer dealers th- those people they are essential for farmers to get their get their work done but they also have to protect themselves their employees and the people who come in and out of their out of their shop so a lot of them closed and they are doing they're doing everything online lenders are doing the same thing everything is is going on online a farmer will call a uh, an equipment dealer and say, listen, I need this and this and this and part, and I, you know, I need it pretty quickly, and they'll say they'll just take the order, write it up, uh, do uh, online signatures, and say, okay, you pick it up uh, uh, in you know behind the store. He comes in in his pickup or his his big truck, he loads it up and and takes it home, and everything is done you know without close contact. The same is happening with uh, with service. If they need, uh, you know, on-farm service, they call, they get a a service rep to come out, and they stay out of his way. And he goes out to the field or the shop or whatever, and he he repairs what needs to be repaired and and gets on his way. talked to um, an ag lender, and he said that, you know, they're doing almost everything online, that they're they're getting their leads online, uh, people are finding them online, including through cell phones, and, you know, they're not touching paper anymore. And he yeah. says they missed the, the, the interaction, the person-to-person contact, and they look forward to getting back to that at some time. But for now, uh, they've changed they way, the way they do business and probably will continue to do business that way, even when we get back to whatever the new normal is.
0: Yeah, I know you talk about equipment dealers. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the biggest changes, and one thank heaven exists, for if you've got newer equipment, if you've got a problem, that tech – can know what the problem is before he even comes out because he can access the tractor through telemetry. Yeah, see what the problem is, know the codes, and maybe bring out a few extra parts just to be sure, so that if he makes that trip to the farm or she makes that trip to the farm, uh, it will be fixed when they leave and they they stay distant. It's been an interesting spring. You
2: know, the other aspect. I talked to a farmer who has uh, has a large operation up in um, Northwest Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And he has, you know, something like 18 or 20 employees, and they're all coming in on the farm. And, uh, you know, he's struggling to do, to social distance his his employees and uh, encouraging them to uh, to wear masks and social distance when they're not on the farm. Uh, but he says, you know, there's there's no way actually to control or or that. But he says it's important for them uh, to keep each other safe as well as to keep him and his family safe. So it's it's been a struggle for them but uh they're doing what they need to do they're they're doing more uh, uh sanitation things on the farm but you know you know you, you and i've been around farmers for a long mm-hmm. time they do what they have to do to uh to keep the business going and you know i'm constantly uh in admiration of those guys and as you know i'm uh kind of a short timer and uh it's, it's been kind of hard you know being isolated <laughs> these last <laughs> couple of months and not being able to see farmers it's uh uh, it's it's an interesting interesting time.
0: You know, you've been doing this more than forty years, uh, but this has to be the weirdest year of your entire career.
2: I've never spent this many consecutive days at home, probably in forty two, forty three years. And uh, you know, there's uh, you know, Pat and I've enjoyed the time together, and uh, you know, I guess we're we're sort of uh, you know uh, preparing for retirement. And, uh, you know, with so the last three months she hasn't kicked me out, but uh, you know, it's, it's it's been hard too because I. You know, the most enjoyable thing about this job has always been, you know, visiting the the people who, who produce food and fiber for us, and spending yeah. some time on their farms and getting to know their families and uh, just seeing what they're doing. And you know, I've missed that in the last last three months, and I, I hope to get to do a little bit of it. Uh, you know, bef- between now and uh, uh, sometime in the middle of the summer. Uh,
0: I know. I actually, hope so too, because I I don't I don't just so everybody's listening. Ron Smith will be retiring this year. Um, from Farm Progress, and uh, I really want your last couple of weeks to be on the farm, if possible, so you can say goodbye to some people and see some farmers, so that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm also happy to hear Pat hasn't kicked you out. Uh, <laughs> I'm having the same situation in my house. Uh, I haven't been home this long for a long time either. My wife says she enjoys it so far, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Ron, it's been great talking to you. We've been talking to Ron Smith, editor of Delta Farm Press, in a long time staff member for the Farm Press team. Uh, Keep up the good work, um, and maybe you can get into a crawfish boil before the summer's out. Uh, Take care and have a great day.
2: I would love it. Thank you, Willie. Stay safe.
0: Thanks to Jennifer Keel, editor of Michigan Farmer and Ohio Farmer Magazines, and Ron Smith, editor of Delta Farm Press, for their contributions to this week's podcast. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national team. But we have some other podcasts you may find interesting, like Down in the Weeds with Tyler Harris of Nebraska Farmer, which deals with a range of ag issues, or American Agriculturist Young Farmer podcast, where Chris Torres, editor of American Agriculturist, shares insights in ag from the next generation. You can find links to those podcasts and the daily updates from Max Armstrong at farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Again, farmprogress.com Forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. And we continue our in depth coverage of all things regarding COVID 19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer, and feedstuffs. And of course, the Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.